Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here. We weren't honestly sure what our church would look like today with uh, so many down in uh, Denver at the Colfax Marathon, but this is wonderful. So welcome for being here today. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the elders here at Littleton Christians Church, and um, I'd like us to turn now to hearing a reading from the book of Genesis 27. This is an ongoing uh, journey that our church has been uh, involved with for the last several months, looking at uh, the entire book of Genesis, and we're looking today at chapter 27, which is coined in my Bible as Jacob Cheats Esau Out of the Blessing. And I'm going to be reading the entire chapter, so bear with me as it shows up on the screen here. Okay. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he was almost blind, he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. Here I am, Esau replied. Isaac said, Since I am so old, I could die at any time. Therefore, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the open fields and hunt down some wild game for me. Then prepare for me some tasty food, the kind I love, and bring it to me. Then I will eat it so that I may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah had been listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau went out to the open fields to hunt down some wild game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father tell your brother Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare for me some tasty food. Then I will eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now then, my son, do exactly what I tell you. Go to the flock and get me two of the best young goats. I'll prepare them in a tasty way for your father, just the way he loves them. Then you will take it to your father. Thus, he will eat and bless you before he dies. But Esau, but Esau, Esau my brother, is a hairy man, Jacob protested to his mother, Rebekah, and I have smooth skin. My father may touch me, then he'll think I'm mocking him, and I'll bring a curse on myself instead of a blessing. So his mother told him, any curse against you will fall on me, my son. Just obey me. Go and get them for me. So he went and got the goats and brought them to his mother. She prepared some tasty food just the way his father loved it. Then Rebekah took her older son Esau's best clothes, which she had with her in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the tasty food and the bread she had made to her son Jacob. He went to his father and said, My father, Isaac replied, Here I am. Which are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat some of my wild game so that, I can bless, so that you can bless me. But Isaac asked his son, How in the world did you find it so quickly, my son? Because the Lord your God brought it to me, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so I can touch you, my son, and know for certain you, if you really are my son Esau. So Jacob went over to his father Isaac, who felt him and said, Hmm, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's. 
he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy, like his brother Esau's hands. So Isaac blessed Jacob. Then he asked, Are you really my son Esau? I am, Jacob replied. Isaac said, Bring some of the wild game for me to eat, my son. Then I will bless you. So, so Jacob brought it to him, and he ate it. He also brought him wine, and Isaac drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. When Isaac caught the scent of his clothing, he blessed him, saying, Yes, my son smells like the scent of the open field, which the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of the sky and the richness of the earth and plenty of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. You will be Lord over your brothers and the sons of your mother will bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Isaac had just finished blessing Isaac, excuse me. Isaac had just finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely left when his fa his father's presence when his brother Esau returned from the hunt. He also prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Esau said to him, my father, get up and eat some of your son's wild game. Then you can bless me. His father Isaac asked, Who are you? I am your firstborn son, he replied, Esau. Isaac began to shake violently and asked, Then who else hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it just before you arrived, and I blessed him. He will indeed be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he wailed loudly and bitterly. He said to his father, Oh, bless me too, my father. But Isaac replied, Your brother came in here deceitfully and took away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, Jacob is the right name for him. He has tripped me up two times. He took away my birthright, and now, look, he has taken away my blessing. Then he asked, have you not kept back a blessing for me? Isaac replied to Esau, Look, I have made him lord over you. You have, you have made all his relatives and servants and provided him with grain and new wine. What is left that I can do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only that one blessing, my father? Bless me too. Then Esau wept loudly. So his father Isaac said to him, See here, your home will be by the richness of the earth and by the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword, but you will serve your brother. When you grow restless, you will tear off his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing his father had given to his brother. Esau said privately, the time of mourning for my father is near when I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah heard that her older son Esau had, what her older uh, son Esau had said, she quickly summoned her younger son Jacob and told him, Look, your brother Esau is planning to get revenge by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Run away immediately to my brother Laban in Haran. Live with him for a little while until your brother's rage subsides. Stay there until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. 
then I will send someone to bring you back from, from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am deeply depressed because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob were to marry one of these daughters of Heth who live in this land, I would want to die. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment of silence, please speak to us about your word. Lord Jesus, please give us eyes to see what you're showing us in the scriptures. Give us ears to hear what you are saying to us. Give us hearts to believe and be transformed that we may be part of your great story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, Mike referenced Genesis 27 as being pretty spicy. You remember him referencing to this is a spicy chapter and a bit of a soap opera. Um, I couldn't help but wonder if Mike Mike's timing for the marathon today has caused him some disappointment in not being able to uh, preach on such an interesting story. Or maybe he's fine and dandy with Bethany and me taking a shot at this. So uh, I'll have to debrief with Mike later on that. But indeed, it is a story about a pretty messed up family. Um, God's family. Pretty messed up. Despite all the self-serving motivations, this family is still used by God in fulfilling his promises to his chosen people. And through this family lineage, God brings about the fulfillment of his ultimate promise, the Savior of the world. So let's dig into this to better understand the human condition, that is sin, and God's sovereignty, that is illustrated in, in today's story. But before we do, I'd like to take a quick look at a couple of passages that we covered in prior weeks because they do uh, shed some insight and some context uh, of today's message. So from a couple of weeks ago, recall chapter 25 and specifically verse 23 where Rebecca was struggling with her pregnancy and an oracle of God said to her, the founders of two nations are in your womb. And the separation of two peoples has already begun in your body. The one people shall be stronger and the other weaker. And the elder shall serve the younger. Now this command from God is hugely significant as we examine today's uh, scripture. In that the crux of chapter 27 uh, is a narrative that hinges on how God's command that the older shall serve the younger is honored or not, as we'll see, by parents Isaac and Rebekah and sons Esau and Jacob. Now, the other passage of interest today, which was not covered by Mike's sermon last week, um, and, it, and it's at the very end of chapter 26. And, and recall that last week, Mike shared with us the abundance of God's blessing through a well of living water provided to Isaac, and that, as a metaphor, we are God's wells of living water. 
Now, somewhat oddly, at the end of chapter 26, it pivots from the blessing of living water and, and resumes the story of Isaac's family. And this is what um, the end of 26 says. Now, Esau was 40 years old when he took as wife Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, and Basmeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And the emphasis here, and they made life bitter and a grief of mind and spirit for Isaac and Rebekah, their parents-in-law. So, you know, where did that come from, right? Sounds like a pretty sad affair, but why? Well, in all likelihood, a major contributor was because Esau married Canaanite women. And from the Jewish perspective, they were pagan. And, uh, and that was way out of line uh, that uh, a, a Jewish boy should stay within the Jewish line. And it was a big deal for Isaac and Rebekah that Esau marrying the pagan would, did marry the pagan women. It was viewed as a godless act and lifestyle. And of course, there can be other difficulties uh, that may arise between parents and daughter-in-laws, right? So we won't go into that. We can't speculate that, but that, that could come into play, I suppose. So regardless, the apparent schism between Rebecca and her, her daughter-in-laws um, probably played an important role as to why Rebecca greatly preferred Jacob over Esau. So that's Having that context will uh, come to light shortly as we now begin to unpack chapter 27. So verses 1 through 4 describe Isaac's intention to bless Esau, despite God's promise to Rebekah that the elder shall serve the younger. I think we can safely assume that Isaac was aware of God's command to Rebekah that God's blessing should go to Jacob. So why did Isaac disobey God's command. It seemed pretty clear. Well, on the one hand, uh, Isaac liked the fact that Esau was a skilled hunter, and he enjoyed the game that Esau brought to the table. And it was Jewish custom that the oldest son in his birthright would receive the inheritance. But on the other hand, how could Isaac not be aware of Jewish history, and recent Jewish history for that matter, that God's providence results in the blessing conferred upon the, the children in, in, his, in his family. And um, specifically, I can point to Abel uh, being the younger received the blessing over Cain. And then for goodness sakes, we have Isaac himself receiving the blessing over Ishmael. So, you would think that Isaac would have understood the providence of God's blessing and God's choice in, and the need to honor that choice. The core of Isaac's preference for Esau over Jacob is some, something one commentator that I uh, was researching characterized as a spiritual versus carnal attitude. While Isaac understood the reality of God's promises as conferred by Abraham blessing him, he didn't apparently understand that God's promises are not something that is negotiable. It can't be bartered for, as was the case in Jacob duping Esau uh, for the eldest's inheritance over 
a bowl of red stew. You might recall that from chapter 25 a couple of weeks ago. Nor can it be reappropriated in Isaac's preference of Isaac, excuse me, of Esau over Jacob. God's promises are sovereign, period. It's easy to see and frown upon Isaac's failure to follow through in the fulfillment of God's command. But what about us? And let me just be vulnerable here and briefly share a bit about my story where I hijacked God's blessing in my life. When Rebecca and I married 30 plus years ago, I was in my early 30s and uh, this is probably not stating it strong enough. I was quite an immature Christian, uh, a baby Christian, you would say. At a somewhat detached level of awareness, I knew that our budding careers and financial success was due to being blessed by God. I, somewhere up in there, my consciousness, I, I, I knew that, right? Um, however, my attitude toward money and success was still very much something I viewed as attributable to my own efforts and my uh, own skills. As a result, the reality was that I paid little attention in looking at my success as being blessed to be a blessing, but rather to self-servingly hold and control. Now, thankfully, <laughs> I'm not the same guy today that I was 30 plus years ago, and I can uh, give a lot of credit to Rebecca's uh, gracious prompting and persistence. She's been uh, a, a, a strong rock in her Christian maturity and helping me along to realize that it's not always about me. It's about uh, fulfilling God's promise to me by being a, being a blessing to others and doing so uh, through my time, talent, and treasure that God has blessed me with. Now, honestly, this continues to be a growth area for me in my life as I too often get in the way of God's blessing in my life. And I would just say God's ways are better than my ways is very easy to say and not always easy for me to follow. So back to chapter 27, verses 5 through 17, which describes Rebekah's rather bodacious scheme to steal Esau's blessing for Jacob. And you know Jacob's willingness to play along in duping Isaac by feeling and smelling like Esau in order that he could receive Isaac's blessing. One could argue that Rebekah was simply following her conscience that... Um, the assurement of the fulfillment of God's promise that the elder shall serve the younger, that seems reasonable, and that may be true in Rebecca following her sense of justice. However, one cannot help but think Rebecca had her own desires playing a significant role in her plan to use Jacob in the manipulation of Isaac. Well, she preferred Jacob over Esau. From Rebecca's perspective, Jacob was a refined and kind of a, a smooth operator, whereas Esau was kind of this rough-and-tumble hulk. Um, and further, Jacob had not yet made the mortal sin of marrying wrongly. He was still a single guy and had not messed up uh, as uh, his older brother Esau. Now, as for Jacob, his only concern in this planned deception is about getting caught and punished by his dad, should things not go according to plan. 
Jacob doesn't appear concerned at all about the fact that this conspiracy is clearly against God's morality. As a heel grabber, that was what Jacob means, heel grabber, uh, and the implication, aside from the fact that when the, two, the twins were born, Esau came out first and Jacob was hanging on to Esau's heel, the other, what that also connoted is somebody who's kind of a schemer, kind of a conniver, kind of a uh, going to make things work for him at whatever expense to others. So as a heel grabber, Jacob seems all too willing to engage in acts of low or no integrity. And that's not unlike his action in his uh, bartering for Esau's inheritance over that wonderful bowl of red, red lentil stew back in chapter 25. At the heart of this planned con job is a power play by Rebekah against Isaac. She wants Jacob to receive God's blessing, whatever it takes. In the current vernacular, this seems like a classic situation of the ends justify the means. You can lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, whatever, to get what you want. Now, uh, in some of my research, uh, one of the commentators said, this is called pragmatism. And so I'm kind of going, okay, what's wrong with being pragmatic? You know, um, I've looked at myself as being pragmatic. You know, a pretty logical and rational decision maker. Not some pie-in-the-sky idealist. I mean, let's look at the facts and make a decision and, and move forward. Um, for example, a thief could say that he is not a thief, but rather a pragmatist. He, he needed to steal the bread to feed his family. That was the ultimate goal and objective. You know, it's okay to act with, it, basically, pragmatism, it's okay to act with low or no integrity, if it enables the achievement of the objective. It's not just the examples we hear in today's headlines, and there are many, but this toxic rationalization permeates our culture. And here we go again, I'm living proof. So bear with me. Um, you know, there's been certainly occasions, and many occasions, perhaps many occasions in my life, where for the sake of my reputation, I might say something that wasn't quite true, or maybe say, not say something, omitted something. Um, and I've, I'd have to say I've also been guilty uh, of failing to be as honest with people under the auspices of them wanting to like, I, wanting, I want them to like me, or I don't want to have them get mad at me, or I don't want to hurt their feelings. I just don't maybe say what I uh, should say. Now, obviously, there's discretion in life, and some business isn't everybody's business. But I'm just saying that for me, as I have reflected upon the moments, uh, and there's a number of them, where I knew that by not saying something or saying something differently that was the, the, full, the full truth, I was protecting and I was holding high something that was my objective, okay? You know, it's okay to want to have a good reputation and to have good relationships, but I think pretty straightforwardly, it's not okay to be dishonest to achieve these things. 
Now, before you think, why is this guy who's so awful up here talking? <laughs> well, uh, I will say that I am much more transparent these days. I've grown a lot in my, in my Christian walk. Um, but I'd at the same time, I'd be dishonest if I didn't just say that the temptation still exists circumstantially in life, that things come along and, okay, what do I say, what don't I say? And perhaps you're challenged uh, from time to time in that way as well. Okay, enough about me. So back to the story looking at verses 18 to 29, where Jacob's deception is ultimately successful, even though Isaac was rightfully suspicious. Jacob did a masterful job of lying through his teeth. This was quite an elaborate con job with skilled maneuvering by the heel grabber. After eating his tasty meal and satisfied, he was really talking to Esau. Isaac confers God's blessing to Jacob. You know, Isaac must have felt so satisfied that he had successfully conveyed God's blessing to his eldest son as he, Isaac, had decided. You know, at that point in time, it seems that Isaac is oblivious to the fact that he had directly usurped God's command. Moving on to verses 30 through 40, that describes Esau's return from the field with his tasty meal and Isaac's realization that he'd been tricked by Jacob. Isaac was shocked and enraged. Clearly, Isaac was incredibly upset by his younger son's cunning, as well as perhaps his own foolishness in not knowing the difference between Jacob and Esau. But I, I think Isaac's greater angst at that moment was that he disobeyed God's command and that the, el that the elder shall serve the younger. I think it was quite a wake-up call for Isaac. Upon Esau's plea for a blessing, Isaac knows that the blessing he conveyed to Jacob was from and of God and could not be reappropriated. Isaac realizes that his intention to thwart God's divine purpose was wrong and never going to happen. In short, Isaac came to learn that despite his arrogance against God's will, God's will was glorious. Now, with regard to Esau's demand for a blessing, it seems to come mainly from a material and not spiritual perspective. There is no recognition that the blessing he covets would come from God, but rather from his earthly father. Ironically, Esau now seems much more interested in a blessing than years earlier when he was willing to rather nonchalantly barter away his birthright for a bowl of red stew. Now, Isaac does confer a blessing to Esau. It comports with God's blessing to Jacob in that the elder is subordinate to the younger, but that he will nevertheless be blessed with a nation, albeit to be filled with struggle and conflict. So our story ends with verses 41 through 46, and it starts out with Esau hating Jacob because Jacob received the blessing Esau thought should be his. Esau hates Jacob so much that he plans to kill Jacob once Isaac has died. After hearing of Esau's plan, Rebekah once again manipulates Isaac by insisting 
that he send Jacob away under false pretense. Sending Jacob off to Haran really wasn't for the purpose of Jacob finding a, a Jewish wife, but it was basically to protect his behind from Esau's murderous plan. And they all lived happily ever after. Not really. And we'll find out more in subsequent chapters of Genesis in the coming weeks. Let me summarize. As one commentator puts it, everyone in the family sought the blessings of God without bending a knee to God. This little family was fraught with ambition, jealousy, envy, lying, deceit, coveting, malice, manipulation, stubbornness, and probably my favorite, stupidity. And, and I do agree with the commentator's assessment. As a result, there were horrible consequences of this sin everyone lost. As we can see in this story, we cannot frustrate God's purposes, but our sin may bring us great trouble. This story illustrates how God uses our sin to accomplish his purposes and at the same time allow consequences for our sin. Okay, so I've tried to unpack this story in terms of the what, who, and why. And now we're going to hear from Bethany in helping us further understand how this story has relevance in our lives and points us to Christ. So, Esau. Um, it's interesting that Esau is actually mentioned in several of the places in the Bible, um, notably in Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and then in Hebrews and Romans, which are in the New Testament. And it's never really a great comment. It's always pretty much, don't be like this guy. Um, so what I want to look at very briefly is the reference in Romans, which is chapter 9, then verses 6 through 18. It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all Israelites truly belong to Israel, and not all of Abraham's children are his true descendants. But it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as descendants. For this is what the promise said. About this time I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Nor is that all. Something similar happened to Rebekah when she conceived children by her one husband, our ancestor Isaac. Even before they had been born or had done anything good or bad, so that God's purposes of election might continue, not by works, but by his call, she was told the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob but I hated Esau. What then are we to say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have compassion, or I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this very purpose of showing my power in you, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he chooses, and he hardens the heart on whomever he chooses. 
So I have to say this is tough. Um, I'm not super uh, super fond of when God really likes to be God. Um, And this is one of those moments. And I have to say that when we were talking about doing this, I specifically mentioned that phrase that Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And that has always bothered me. And so it's definitely an invitation for me to take a look at this passage and really wrestle with what this really means. And I have to say also that this term word wrestling is super important because I think all of the characters in this story have wrestled as I have wrestled. And I think that they have wrestled for something that was already theirs, that they didn't even actually need to wrestle for in the first place, in God actually saying that the elder, younger shall serve the uh, elder shall serve the younger. Sorry. (sighs) Remember again, the purpose of blessing Abraham's lineage was to be a blessing to the nations, not just to the people themselves. Again, the image of the well that Mike presented last week, being filled to be poured out for the sake of others. So the giving of the blessing was about the inheritance, not only of material items, but much more than that. It spoke to the purpose of future generations who received this blessing. The blessing was never about the person receiving it, but it was about God and his intention in using that person to be a blessing to be used to show that God, who he is to the nations. So in our passage that I just read in Romans, Paul is grieving that not all of Israel is understanding this and therefore missing potentially out on the blessing that they could receive. You could say, like Esau did not understand when he sold his birthright for the bowl of stew or when Rebekah deceived Isaac and then Jacob went along with it. God had already, before these men had even been born and wrestling in their mother's womb, declared the younger would serve the older. God's intentions stand. It sounds so harsh that God would overtly say he would love someone and hate another, as it does in Malachi. And I have to say, I did a lot of reading up on this one and praying. And commentators say that a, a better translation of the word hate is actually prefer, which kind of lessens it a little bit. But it can still give way to a temptation in my heart, definitely, to accuse God of being unjust. As Paul asks in this passage, is God unjust? But we have to always remember that Jacob was blessed, not solely for his own sake, but to be a blessing even to his own brother, Esau, whom was involved also in Sherping his responsibilities, giving away his birthright, um, and also being a blessing to his family down through the generations. So keeping that in mind, of course, Jesus, being in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the ultimate source of blessing. He indeed was truly given everything so that he could give everything for us to be poured out as a blessing and for the coverage of our sin, which brings us to the table, of course. And once again, meals are used to bring about blessing, such as the one that Isaac ate with his son, even though he was being deceived. However, Jesus uses this meal, a familiar one to the people who were eating it with him at the time, to tell a new story and give a new blessing. 